Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. You're alive, you're good. It is, it is officially fall. Am I seeing the calendar right? That means we survived. If you live in the South, we did it. We survived the H-E double hockey sticks that is summer, and God is paying off with some less than killer weather. It's, it's starting to cool down a little bit, man, and, and we're in the middle of fall. We're wrapping up a series today, and next week we start sort of our, our fall series in October, and I just want to tell you this. It, it's it's going to be a conversation for four weeks about the battle for your mind. Like the battle of what's going on up there. In fact, here's a quote that sort of arrested us as we prepare for this series. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Mm -mm. What we think shapes who we are. So we're going to be talking about some of the lies that maybe we believe we're building our life on. And, and like I could preach at least 20 minutes right now on that. But we'll, we'll come back next week. You're going to want to be a part of that. But today we, we finish something. We finished our 12-stone tailgate series, and we're, we're wrapping things with some really meaningful moments as a church. Like we said, tonight is right night for dads of middle schooler and high school students, and it's going to be short but meaningful. And I know what we're doing, so I can tell you, we're going to break some stuff. So if you're like on the fence, dads, like, what are we going to do? I want to be a part. We're going to break some stuff. So it's going to be awesome. And if you've not jumped in yet, we've got a couple hundred spots left to make this available to you. So you can even right now get your phone, text DADS to 37748, get plugged in, get ready. It's going to be a meaningful time for, for dads. And then at the end of today's service, we're going to wrap this 12-stone tailgate series with some baptisms, man, and it's, it's going to be one of those days, and we call it open baptism because this is not fully planned, and some of y'all showed up today, and you're not planning to be baptized, but over the course of the next 30 minutes, God's going to mess with you, and the Spirit of God's going to say, repent and be baptized today, and you might find yourself in a couple groups, like maybe you followed Jesus for weeks, months, years, decades, and you've never been baptized. You've never been obedient. That might be a lordship issue for you. And today, even though you've walked with Jesus a long time, you might jump in the baptism tub. Maybe, maybe you are one of the several hundred that began following Jesus over the last two weeks. And you bowed your life afresh in the last two weeks. And this is going to be you going public at the end of the service, being baptized. And we're going to celebrate and lose our minds clapping and celebrating for you across all the campuses. And, and the third group, maybe... You came today, and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're a skeptic or a cynic, or you're just curious, and you're like, I don't know what this whole Jesus thing's about. Well, our prayer has been all week that the Spirit of God would be talking to you like he's just in your ear, like he's in your heart talking to you this whole day. So by the end, you'll do what it says in Acts 2.38, which was the first message preached after the church was established they said here's what you do repent and be baptized like you can just say yes to Jesus repent turn your life and jump in the baptismal every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins see that's what we're doing today you might even be watching online and you're in your couch in your pajamas right now and you're gonna say the spirit of God messed with me I'm hopping in the car and you're driving to a campus and you're gonna get baptized at the end of the 11 o'clock service awesome we believe God is going to move, and he's been preparing. And if, if yesterday's prayer at 9 a.m. is any sort of evidence of what God wants to do, buckle up. We are fired up for what God's going to do. So let's, let's jump into the conversation. Uh, we've been talking a lot about football in this series, and some of you were like, yeah. Some of you were like, that's okay. So I want to just broaden the metaphor for us. Any baseball fans just curious? There we go. We got, if you watch the Braves this year, it's bananas what's going on right now. Like, it's like every 15 seconds, there's another home run. Like, I can't even, I'm, some of these numbers might not even be right because they're hitting so many home runs. Matt Olson this year, 53 home runs just this year. Unreal. Ozzie Albies, Ronald Cunha Jr., Austin Rowley, and Azunio, like, they combine for another 140 home runs plus in this season. We're setting all kinds of records. The Braves are in, incredible. But here's the point I want to make. Anyone play Little League or softball growing up? Anybody here across the campuses? All right, here's the thing about baseball. One of my favorite traditions. 
Do you remember what you do when you're losing? Like you're going into the eighth or ninth inning, you're down a couple runs. Anyone remember, what's the thing, the tradition that you do? Someone, there you go, rally caps, right? You take your hat, you flip it inside out, and you're sitting there like, we, we got a rally, man. We got a rally. And as a kid, I can remember, like we're down, I was not great at baseball. We're down like 14 runs, and we're like, rally caps. We're doing it. We're going to come back. And these kids, like even the pros do it. Here's some, some Braves doing it. Like even the pros, like whatever it takes to come back when you're losing, like the rally cap thought is profound. Some of you are like, I remember those guys. Yeah. See, this concept in baseball that I love is like, you can be down 10 runs in the ninth inning and it's not over yet. Like in football, if you're down 21 points with 30 seconds left, you can turn the game off. But baseball, you can score 100 runs in the ninth inning. I love that about baseball equally until the pitch count. Baseball was very long. So I'm glad for the pitch count moving. But, but here's the point. Here's the conversation I want to have. When it feels like you're losing, how do you make a comeback? That's the conversation I want to have because here's the thing I think. Many of us show up to church and we put on a smile like, like things are great, but there's places where we feel like we're losing. And it starts to feel more like a football game. You're down 21 points with 30 seconds left than it does a baseball game. You might be down a couple runs, but baby, the bottom of the ninth is coming. You can score 100 runs in the ninth inning. How, how when it feels like you're losing, how do you make a, a comeback? In fact, We've been sort of using this picture in the series where we talk about the fact that if this is the timeline of your life, and we're sort of talking to dads and in this parenting lane, but it's for everybody, the complexity of parenting is that you just go through life with so little wins and victories, it feels like sometimes. You're just in the desert of parenting that you need a picture that's far enough out that you can look to it, and this is my picture. That's my daughter, so I'll give her some hair. Uh, my, my picture that I look to is I think about my daughter's wedding day and I go, listen, I want to be walking her down the aisle in 10, 20, I don't care, 60 years. You can wait, baby. Listen, like I, I, want, I want to have that picture. But the problem is that as life plays out, it's not just little ups and downs in life. We all have those. But there's moments where you feel like you're losing so much that it's like, I got no hope. Like you start, like if you've seen Back to the Future, remember when, again, this is going to be some of you, I'm nerding out. Marty McFly, anyone? Okay, thank you. Uh, best trilogy of all time, uh, prove, me, prove me otherwise. Uh, Back to the Future, when he's looking at the picture of his family and the picture starts to disappear, remember this scene? He's trying to get back on the timeline to get the picture he wants. And it feels like sometimes when you're failing, your picture starts to disappear. Like you, you as a dad might be, anger might be your signature sin to the point where you're going, I'm going to lose my picture. You, you might be in a season where you've worked so hard at your job or your hobby at the expense of your family or your kids and you're going, I'm starting to believe I'm going to lose my picture. You feel like you're down enough and it's the bottom of the ninth that you go, I don't, I don't know how to make a comeback. How do I get back to the picture like Marty in Back to the Future? Like you, you might have places where you feel like you're losing your picture. And I want to have a conversation for y'all. See, maybe you've been through a divorce and you're like, yeah, I lost the picture. Maybe you're a single mom, a widow, a grandparent raising your grandkids. And you're like, that picture was lost a long time ago. See, I'm here to tell you that it might not be. See, how do you make a comeback when it feels like you're losing? And to do that, I want to talk about one of the most popular characters in all of Scripture. His name is King David. And if you've read the Old Testament, King David was like a central person in the story of the Bible. I mean, there's all kinds of even like archaeological digs that point back to this person, King David. He was incredible. And if you, if you walk through scripture, like he's even in the New Testament. Some thousand years later, they talk about him. And here's what they say in Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, God, he, God made David their king and God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What would it be like for that to be how God talks about you? 
Jason, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. If you read scripture, like David's highlight reel is unreal. Like homeboy starts out the gates as a kid killing Goliath. Like with a slingshot knocking down a giant everyone else was scared about. Like, well done, David. You're up in runs. It's, you're winning the game of life. He eventually becomes king. And then he has a bunch of military victories. He actually goes and retakes the city of Jerusalem again after years and years of them, the, God's people not living there. He unified Israel from a divided nation back to one, like unbelievable mind for, for bringing unity to a whole nation. Like David was the man. But David was not perfect. In fact, he made some big blunders. And I want to talk to you today about the biggest blunder of his life. And I want you to see the recipe for a rally, for a comeback through his life. But before we get to that, we have to sit in the wait. So I want to just walk you through one of my favorite stories. If you have a Bible with you, or if you want to grab a Bible in the, in the seats in front of you or beneath you, we're going to be in 2 Samuel 11. And I want to sort of bring us into this story, because here's what I believe. I believe that the Spirit of God is going to help you find yourself in this story, because I've found myself in this story more than once. So here's how the story starts, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Pause. This is a meaningful start to the story. Because listen, David's purpose as king in great part was to be the like to lead the army into battle. And so for year after year after year, David's been leading the army. Like when God says, go take out that enemy nation, David goes with them and leads the way. That's part of his calling and his job. And he hits a season where he's like, I've done it enough, haven't I? What more do you want? Like I unified the nation. I took Jerusalem. I just took out the Ammonites and the Hittites and the Bleeplites and the Dutdorts. Like we, I took them all out. I don't even know the names of these people. Like at some point, God, when is it enough? So at the time when kings go to war, David sent somebody else to fight in his place. And he stayed back at the palace. I want to tell you why that's a weighty thought. Because I found in myself, there are seasons where I get so tired of carrying the pressure. Being a dad, husband, at work, in my character. That it's like at the time when I'm supposed to do this, I go, haven't I done that enough? Here's what I know about myself. When I go passive, I'm a dangerous person. Like I was built to fight. Not like this. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But like built to fight for the right things. Like I was born and built to fight for the honor of my marriage. To fight for the future of my kids. To fight for my soul. And when I go passive, I'm a dangerous person. In fact, I heard it said this way. Young men are like pickup trucks. They drive straighter with a load in the back. If you've ever driven a pickup truck, up in New York where I grew up, when it snows and you have a, a rear-wheel drive pickup truck and there's no weight in the back, you are fishtailing everywhere. You can't get traction. So we used to literally get sandbags and fill the back of our little pickup trucks so that we had weight in the back that helped us drive straighter. And men, listen, I'm talking to everybody, but men, listen, you were designed to carry weight and pressure. And when you don't, you give yourself permissions in places you would never give yourself permissions. When David was at war, he was not tempted to be passive or lazy. But when it was the season when kings go to war and David sent everyone else and he stayed back, you start to see the downward spiral of that decision. I am never more dangerous than when I have no pressure and I'm passive. Whew. I want you to see how the story plays off. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. This is how I see it. It's me with no pressure, no job, no wife, no kids. I'm just doing my thing. No one needs anything from me. And it's like two in the morning. And I'm like, I'm just going to go hop online or I'm going to go watch some Netflix. Like I got whatever. We'll figure it out. That's where David's at. And he's walking on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. 
I'm going to unpack why people would bathe outside, but it was a thing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Hey, what's her name? I want to know who she is. And he says this. He says, listen, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This isn't his wife, someone else's wife. David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. It gets worse. <laughs> you know who Uriah is? It's one of David's mighty men, which means I want you to see what David did. The time when David's supposed to go fight, he went passive and stayed back at the, at the palace. And he sent Uriah to go fight. And Uriah being an honorable, an honorable man, he went and fought. So Uriah is away fighting the battle David's supposed to be fighting. And in David's passivity and laziness and just desire to just let me, give me a breath, give me a break. Because he wasn't fighting the battle God put in front of him to fight, instead he decided to conquer someone else, his wife. And David sent Uriah off to war, and while he's gone, he calls Uriah's wife Bathsheba to the palace, and he sleeps with her. That's King David. See, the slippery slope when he started saying, I'm going to stay back from war. I'm not going to fight the battle God has for me. Instead, I'm going to fight and conquer something else. And he does. And as is always true, it gets more complicated. Verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Sounds like Jerry Springer right now, if you were born in the 80s. It's like, and there's more. She's pregnant with someone else's baby. That's what's happening. It's, it's bananas. But I love that like, this is in the Bible. And she goes, by the way, uh, KD, that's King David. I made that up. By the way, KD, uh, I'm pregnant. And David realizes very quickly the sin that he committed, the loss that he was taking that he wanted to keep private was about to go public. And so David starts to squirm. And if you read the story, David's like, okay, 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 okay. Get our story straight. What are we going to do? How are we going to pull this off? So here's what David does. David sends for Uriah, the husband of the woman he just slept with. Bring him back from war. He's done a real good job doing the war thing. You need a break. Calls him back home. And David said, listen, man, I'm glad you're here. I love you. You need some time off. Why don't you go home and be with your wife? Man, she's real pretty. I've heard. I, don't, I wouldn't know, but I've heard she's pretty. Go home and see your wife. But Uriah was such an honorable man. He said, like, while my boys are out fighting, who am I to go enjoy pleasure with my wife? And he slept outside on the porch. And David's like, dude, I'm going to need you to go sleep with your wife. Because if you, if you do, you'll believe it's your baby and I'm done and I'm, I've covered it up. And so David does the second night. Hey, bro, let's take some shots, bro. Let's, let's, let's drink a little bit. And scripture says he got Uriah drunk. Hey. Now go sleep with your wife. Am I right, dude? And this time Uriah was still honorable, but he was probably like, <clears throat> no. And he slept on the porch still. And David's like, dude, you got to do this for me, bro. I need, I need this. This has to be covered up. And, and David realizes, listen, the spiral of sin. Oh, my goodness gracious. David realizes that when, when, when he wouldn't sleep with his wife, he's going to be found out. Here's what you need to know. When hidden, sin doesn't go away. It actually grows. Like when you try to cover it up and hide it, sin grows in the dark. It's like mold. Give me dark and cool places and I, and I grow. Man, warm places, how does mold grow? Anyway, you get the point. When it's hidden, it grows. And his sin went from passivity in his calling to lust for another woman to adultery. And now David sends Uriah back to the front lines with his own death sentence in his hand. Here's what it says. In verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, who is his general, and sent it with Uriah. Uriah has an envelope, probably not, but a letter. And he doesn't know what's written on the letter. Here's what's written. It says, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Passivity. 
lust, adulterer, and now murderer. And he wants to keep his sin hidden so bad that he sent another man to die to cover his sin. And his plan worked. Uriah was sent out front. Pull back. Let him stay. And Uriah is killed in battle. David finally exhales. Perfectly fine that an innocent man was killed for his sin. And he thinks he got away with it. Problem is, if you hide your sin from others, you might get away with it for a minute, but you ain't going to get away with it with God. See, God saw the whole thing. God sends this prophet, Nathan. And he comes to David. And at this point, David's like, I got away. He's happy again. Like, ooh. And Nathan said, hey, hey King David, I'll tell you a story. Uh, there was this rich man. He had a bunch of sheep, a bunch of cows. Like, he was wealthy. And then there's just like, there's this poor guy that had one little sheep that he loved so dearly. It even says, Nathan's talking about like, the, the kids loved it. The kids named it. They, they did dinner. They did life together. He had this one precious sheep. And then one day, this foreign dignitary guest comes into town, and we're going to prepare a meal for this guest. And the rich man could have taken one of his thousands of sheep and killed it for dinner. But instead, he chose to take the sheep of the poor man, the one thing he had and loved. He killed that sheep. And made dinner for the guest. And here's David's response. Chapter 12. David burned with anger against the man. And said to Nathan. As surely as the Lord lives. The man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over. Because he did such a thing. And had no pity. And what David didn't know. Is it was a setup. Because it's always easier to see people's sin. Than to see your own sin in it. I can point out your mess quick. But I look in the mirror and go, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. And then Nathan delivers four of the most haunting words in all of Scripture. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, in this story, that's what you did. You have wives and concubines and riches. You have everything you could need. Uriah had Bathsheba. And in your appetite for lust, you stole his one and only. Took it for yourself. And guess what, David? You're not wrong. You deserve to die. For what you did, you had Uriah killed. And the reality is, David, you are the man in that story. And just pause. We've prayed all week that across these campuses, the Spirit of God would just have moments of whispering to dozens or hundreds of you. In the story of God's creation and the story, spiritually speaking, you are the man. You are the woman. I am that man. Moments where we can't pretend in the mirror, I'm perfect, I'm good. No, 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 no. You can hide it, not from God. He knows already. And now I want to go back. That's who David is. Let's go back to where we started. A thousand years later, here's how Acts describes David. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Wait a second. Like, maybe it's like this. Like, there's a bunch of Jasons in the world. Maybe you got the wrong Jason. Like, God, are you sure you got the right David? Because the David I just read about was an adulterer and a murderer, not a man after God's own heart. Like that's not, it's not computing for me. I'm, I'm missing something in the story. And, and what made David a man after God's own heart, listen, was not because he was perfect because we just learned he was far from it. See, this, this moment would be the crossroads that would define the rest of David's life. He was down a thousand runs in the ninth inning, if you will. And a comeback, I don't see how you're coming back from this. Adulterer, liar, murderer, lazy, passive. It's over, David. No rally cap's going to fix this one, my dude. Like, this is trouble. But the way that David responded to his sin would define how God saw him the rest of his life. And 2 Samuel 12, 13 Here's what David said. After Nathan showed him the fact that you are the man in this story, David, David said this to Nathan, I have sinned 
against the Lord. That's a simple phrase, but it, it, it's revealing inside of the heart of David when he was confronted with his sin, after trying to hide it for a long time and justify it and do whatever it took, hurt whoever it hurt to hide it, when it finally was in front of his face, David did the only thing he could do. He owned it. He saw his sin. He owned it. And because he owned it, God forgave him. And this is unfathomable to me. Now, there were still consequences. Like, by the way, when you mess up, when you sin, when you take losses, you're not removed from the consequences here on earth. David lost the baby that was conceived in this adulterous moment. That baby died. There were costs at the end of David's life. He was not allowed to build the temple. There were costs, but equally, God didn't give him what he deserved, which was to be killed. Like David wasn't wrong. When Nathan told him the story, what should happen to this man? He should be killed. David should have been killed. For what he, even in our judicial system, like eye for an eye, like, dude, you killed him, you're, you should be killed. And God didn't kill him. Equally, God didn't remove him from the throne. God let him live a long life. He was able to actually birth a son with Bathsheba that lived, whose name was Solomon. David got to actually anoint his own son, the next king. Like, do you see the forgiveness of God that not only did he not kill him, he gave him all this because, listen, David was a man after God's own heart because when confronted with his sin, he owned it and he repented, which means he turned and went the other direction. Here's, here's the point. God honors current obedience over past mistakes. All the stuff you've ever done, he would honor a moment of current obedience over everything you've ever done. What? I don't know about you, but like I keep a record of wrongs. Like I, I know what you did to me. Like when you do me dirty, things change, man. Like I, I'll forgive you, but and God honors current obedience over past mistakes. And like, like I love that in baseball, you can score 100 runs in the ninth inning. Listen, you can be 93, I'm making up a number. You can be 93 years old right now, and you've walked and sinned and rebelled against God your whole life. God would honor the current obedience of 93 and forget 92 plus years. Listen, you might be a parent. You're going, I'm losing the picture. I've made so many mistakes. I'm losing the picture. It's over. My, my kid's six. I missed the formative years. No, 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 no. You can repent and return to your calling as parent. Dads, your kids are 16. You're like, dude, it is for sure over. Like, I, I missed 16 years. God can do more with two years after you've repented and honored him. He can do two, more with two years surrendered to him than you could do on your own with 18. Listen, you, you might be, your kids might be grown out of your house. You're like, no, it is for sure over for me. Here's the beauty. Kids don't often remember how you started, but they do remember how you finished. Like, you can get back in the game, get in the batter's box, and start swinging for the fences. You can still go after this, and God can do more. You might be a single mom, a widow, a single dad, a grandparent going, my kids, I've heard all your stats, bro. You told me everything about how important a dad is. I don't have one. Oh, my, if you would surrender your life to Jesus, your heavenly Father can cover the gaps in your kids' lives unlike anything you could imagine. He is present in those moments. It's not over. And if you've lived rebellious from your heavenly father, it is not too late. You can repent. And I want you to see, like if anyone deserved to lose their picture, it's King David. Would you agree? Like send a guy to war, sleep with his wife, murder him. He's innocent. David didn't deserve to have the picture he ended with. And I want you to see the first verse in the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. And here's how it starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God's forgiveness for David was so great that he didn't just not kill him. He gave him the picture. 
He's in the genealogy of Jesus. What it means when it says the, the son of David, it's not actually the son of David. It means that David was in the bloodline of 14 generations, then 14, and then 14, leading to Jesus stepping out of heaven into earth. And David is recognized as a patriarch and as in the bloodline, the genealogy of Jesus, which there is no greater honor to a Jewish person. Here, here's my point. The grace of God is more, is bigger and more beautiful and more expansive than you could ever fathom. David didn't deserve to live, let alone be in the genealogy of Jesus. And because David repented, God forgave. And there's one word that makes all this possible. And the word is this, grace. The grace of God to those of us who would recognize that I am the man. That story, Nathan, I'm the man. Me. And in sports, you can rally and come back, work harder, strive, dig deeper. And that's a beautiful thing. I love when that happens. But spiritually, with God, there's no amount of effort and rally and digging deeper that can fix what's broke in you because of sin. Your only hope is grace. It's the grace that was purchased for us on the cross through Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians 2, here's, here's how we spell it out. But because of his, God's great love for us, God's motivator is love. He loves you so much that it drives him to do things that are unimaginable for, for us. I couldn't do the things God does. His love drives him because God, who is rich in mercy, mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. Mercy means that David deserved death and God didn't give it to him. Second, we were made alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, that's not the word for your sins. Your sin makes you dead spiritually. And when we talk about salvation, the gospel is not about, about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. Like that's not about like this is not behavior modification and do better. It's about you are dead and there's nothing you can do about it. It is by grace that you have been saved. And here's what grace is. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. David deserved to die and God's mercy said, I'm, I'm going to spare you. David deserved to be written out of the story, but instead God said, I'm going to put you in the story. That's grace. He gave you what you don't deserve. He gave me what I don't deserve. And David deserved death, and God gave him life. And many of us look at God in heaven and think, he's out to get me. He's waiting for me to fail. God cannot wait to erase this picture. I know God, and I know this. I've been around the church. I've seen Christians. They're judgmental and hateful, and you might have met someone who claims the name of Jesus and who, and who acts that way, but I'm telling you, if you could feel and understand the heart of God, you would understand that he's not waiting for you to fail so he can punish you. He sent Jesus knowing full well you would fail so that he could restore you and redeem you, and he could bring the picture back, not just for your parenting and your kids, but for your eternity. And the good news of the gospel is that God will forgive you, but we have to repent. And repenting just means this. I was walking this way, and I turned 180, and I walked this way. That's the picture of repentance. And when David repented, it was this. I was walking in sin, adulterer, murderer, and Nathan, through the power of the Spirit, gave David a mirror, and David saw who he was and went, oh, I have sinned against God. Now walk this way. In fact, the very first message ever preached after the church was established in Acts 2, here's what they said. Peter's talking. He said, therefore, let all Israel be assured, assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, God sent Jesus to live the life you couldn't live, undefeated in every way, shape, and form, never sinned, to die the death that, that I deserved, that you deserved. And then he rose from the dead and says, if you will follow me, I'll make you a new creation. 
and I will save you from not just eternal hell, but the hell on earth that comes from a life of sin. See, this is too good to be true. The grace of God. And here's what I've been praying all week. Actually, I want to say this. David sent Uriah to die for his sins. And David wasn't entirely wrong. He just had the wrong guy. We all need someone to die for our sins. It's just, it's not Uriah, it's Jesus. He died and took the consequences, the punishment for your sins and your sins and your sins and my sins. And he covers us and says, you're now forgiven in the sight of God. And I hope that like they experience in Acts 2, you experience the same thing. When Peter's preaching the same gospel I'm preaching 2,000 years later, praise God. Here's what the people experienced in, in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Holy Spirit, would you cut people to the heart right now? Here across campuses, Holy Spirit, for people who feel like you're vengeful and out to get them, would your loving kindness draw them? Equally, for people who feel prideful, like I'm not that bad, would you do what you did for David? You are that man. Would you cut him to the heart? And would their response be the same as the people? The people said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? Like they were asking, what do we do before we even finish the message? Like, yes, I'm in. What do I do? And here's the answer. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, if you would repent and be baptized, God would forgive you and restore you and make you new again. All the junk in your past, all the sin, all the mess, he would forgive you and restore you because he loves you. And what would that prayer look like? It might, it might look like something like this. It's not magic words, but it's a, a roadmap for hopefully what it feels like that you're cut to the heart right now. Dear God, I recognize that I am that man or woman a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus lived the life I couldn't, died the death I deserved, and rose from the dead. I repent of my sin and turn my life to you. I trust Jesus to forgive me and make me new. My life is yours. Thank you, God, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. And in just a minute, our pastors are going to step up, and they're going to invite you to repent and be baptized. I don't want to talk to the groups again. You may have said yes to Jesus, repented months, years, decades ago, and you've never been obedient in baptism, and it might be a lordship issue for you. I said, repent, be baptized. You've never been obedient in baptism. Today's your day. No more excuses. You, you may have repented, bowed your life to Jesus over the last two weeks in this series. Some 120, 130 of you have done that. If that's you, today's your day to go public in obedience saying, I'm a new creation in Jesus. There's no excuse. Come on, well, let's get baptized. You might be sitting here today, and for the first time, the light bulb came on that you realize you are the man in the story. You are a sinner, and you need a Savior. And you're going to stand up in your street clothes, and you're going to hop in the tub, and you're going to leave wearing something different than you came in. Because the grace of God is better than you can imagine. And you, you might even be like an elementary school kid, K to five. Like if you're under fifth grade, you can respond. We're not going to baptize you today, but you can take a jar and get some water from that tub. And the day that we walk you through this and you do get baptized, you can pour that jar back. It's a cool moment we'll have for even elementary school kids. Perfect is a myth. You will fall short. And when you do, how will you respond you hide it and bury it. And right now the Holy Spirit's talking to you and you want to push it down and hide it like David did. Just get to the car and get out of here and I'll just, it'll go away. Will you bow up and make excuses? I'm not that bad. I, I, what I did was justifiable. Or will you bow, surrender, repent? Because if you will repent, he will forgive so here's what we're going to do here across the campuses. Would everyone stand with me? And we're going to offer that prayer again. And we're all going to read it out loud. But for many of you, 
This is not reciting a prayer with, with the room. This is your response to the gospel. That if Jesus did this for you, this is your response. So as we pray this, for many of you, this is your moment of salvation. And when I say amen, pastors, you step up and you give instructions because we're moving fast to the tub. I say amen, we give instructions, you begin to respond to the gospel. So everyone out, out loud across all the campuses together, dear God, I recognize that I am the man, a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus lived the life I couldn't, died the death I deserved, and rose from the dead. I repent of my sin and turn my life to you. I trust Jesus to forgive me and make me new. My life is yours. Thank you, God, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, right here at Sugarloaf, stay in this moment. I don't know what group you're in, but the Spirit of God cutting you to the heart. And I don't know why you've not bowed your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you got baggage from like old church stuff. Maybe like me, you battle pride and you're like, I don't need this. I'll figure it out. I'll rally. Maybe you're afraid of what other people are thinking. What are they going to think of me? I've been to this church for a long time and I know I'm supposed to respond. I don't know, I don't know what your excuse is. I'm the king of excuses. I get it. But in the presence of God, there's no excuse when his arms are wide open. So if you're going to respond, here's what you're going to do. Let me say it simple. You're just going to move to that wall. Like, go through the lobby, come back in. Come across the front. I don't care. Slide through your row. You're like, man, these people aren't going to move. We're so The rows are tight. We'll move. Climb across the chairs. I don't care. Like, this building doesn't exist to look pretty. It exists so people can follow Jesus. Mess it up. And you're going to make your way to that side and we got people ready. And you're like, what about my phone and my ring and I got this jewelry? What do I do with that? We got bags. Put your valuables in it. We'll hold them for you. And we're going to have a moment of prayer with you. And Pastor Michael's at the tub and you're going to get in. And you're like, but what about my clothes? We got shorts and t-shirts of all sizes. You'll leave looking good on your way out. Don't worry. We've removed every excuse except the excuse of self-reliance. But you know that you know that you know that there is a God who sent his son Jesus to die in your place. And if you would repent, he would forgive. Five years old, 15 years old, 50 years old, 95 years old. It's never too late. So as the, begin, as the band begins to play, you're going to begin to move right now. Like literally, start moving right now. And Pastor Michael is going to be there. Yep, you can slide in that direction. Yes, ma'am. Keep moving. The offer of God is for every man, every woman, every student, every child. And we're going to baptize until we're done. I don't know how you got here, why you got here. This is why God brought you here. And we're going to celebrate crazy town. Every time someone gets baptized, we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to baptize till we're done. Would you celebrate as God rescues and saves and redeems people? Worship well.
are tender moments the presence of God listen never too late 20, 50, 80 you will repent, he will forgive and he will restore the things that feel broken. The picture that you think you've lost. The consequences that you do deserve, he will forgive. He will restore because his grace. But like any gift, you got to receive it. And I'm really cautious in this moment because this is not an emotional plea. Don't miss this. This is not a, I feel it, I'm going to go jump in a tub. It's you know undeniably that the press and conviction of the Holy Spirit, you thought like David, you were so close. We're about to dismiss and I'm going to get to the car. Push it down and it won't, it won't be found out. Now get through the week and you know that you know that you know the Spirit of God is saying, you need my grace, my forgiveness. If that's you, we're gonna sing another chorus and we got a line, we're gonna keep baptizing. But if that's you, man, don't push it down. Don't bury it. Own it. What do I teach my kids? You're 10, by the time you're 20, what does it mean to be a man? Own your stuff. Be a man, own your stuff before Almighty God and then he will own it in your place. That's the beauty of the gospel, but you have to repent. So Holy Spirit, maybe it's one more person, but you would forgive, save, and restore if they would repent and turn to you. So God, in these next just two, three minutes,
as we continue to celebrate, would you continue to draw and move men and women and students to that tub to say yes to you? And God, as your church, we will celebrate every changed life, every new creation in Christ, every salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate this one right now. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.